This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Andrew, the, uh, the trainee pastor here. When I say the words football rivalry, I wonder what comes to your mind. Well, don't switch off if you're not football fans. Maybe you're, you're bored already, um, but stay with me. If you are football fans, then what may come to your mind? Uh, possibly Liverpool-Everton, um, Spurs-Arsenal, uh, City United, perhaps closer to home, uh, City Rovers, Reading-Oxford. No, just me then. That's fine. Well, on the screen, um, there will be a picture coming up. Um, because this week, two of the world's, uh, two of Italy's biggest football teams met this week in the Champions League uh, semi-final. These were AC Milan and Inter Milan, and it was the first time they'd met in the Champions League since 2005. And this is where this picture is taken from. It's, it's, it's quite a, uh, a, a famous or an infamous uh, picture um, uh, that, um, that was from that game where the game was actually abandoned after the, uh, the Inter Milan fans were lobbing down flares and uh, fireworks onto the pitch, even injuring the goalkeeper in the process, and he suffered burns to his shoulder. There's a long-standing feud between these two clubs. And in today's passage, we have before us an intense hatred. We are going to be looking at a cosmic conflict, an intense hatred between Jesus and the world. And we are going to see that as we go through, all of us in this room, or whether you are listening or watching online, have to make our choice. All of us have to make a choice of whether we are on the side of Jesus or whether we are on the side of the world. Which team are you on? And, and Ruth has already um, touched on it already, but if you are on Jesus' side, and if you are a Christian, many of us will be Christians here today, this message is hard-hitting. Um, it was difficult in many ways preparing for, for, this message, for, um, for this message. It's not an easy message to hear. There's, there's, no, there's not loads of encouragements um, all the way through this passage. Now, don't walk out just yet. There are some, and there is hope as we go through, but it is difficult to hear. And in God's Word, there are messages that is difficult to hear, but we have to hear it. But I think, as I've, as I've looked through this passage, uh, I've, I've noticed that actually it gives us perspective. And in a time when Christians are increasingly um, given hostility and receive hatred and marginalized for their faith, 
I believe it helps us to make sense of the world around us. It kind of gives us a lens through which to, to view the world. And I hope it helps you today. And stay with me, there is encouragement um, later on in the passage as well. So we're going to look at two sections um, this morning, two sections, and then three ways of what that looks like in our lives, three implications or three applications for us, whether we are at school, at work, at home, wherever we may be during the week. So first section is the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus. As we read through that passage, um, there are a few repeated words. Um, One of those words um, are the world. And the world was repeated about six times, I think. And what is exactly, when it's exam season, so let's define our terms. What exactly is meant by the world? What do we mean by the world here? Well, we're just going to sidestep into one of the other books that John wrote, 1 John. And a passage, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, a passage that we would have looked at if you were with us in our evening service, services, probably the back end of last year now. And it says this, which I think helps us to understand what is meant by the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Lord lives forever. You see, just in that, that middle section there, you might have spotted it, the, the world being the lust of the flesh, the lust of, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's one way that we can describe the world. And another preacher has, has put it this way. He said, the world is everything in the universe which ignores God or is opposed to him. And that's right. The world is diametrically opposed to God. God is on one side. God is full of purity and holiness, and he is 100% perfection. He is without sin, and he's not even capable of sinning. And on the other hand, we have the world. The world is, is full of sin, and the world is full of impurity. Everything in this world, including humans, men and women, and material things in this world, has been affected by sin. That's not to say that everything is 100% evil. There, are, there is good in the world. We know that. But the world has been affected by sin. So we have this cosmic conflict. We have this battle and, and opposites, complete opposites. And in this case, opposites certainly do not attract. And we see this played out in the life of Jesus. The world hated his purity. Jesus was marginalized. Jesus was 100% pure and holy. And the world generally did not like it. In John 8, we read uh, that Jesus was stating that he was one with the Father. And straight away at the end of that passage, people were uh, picking up rocks ready to stone him. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and immediately the plot to kill him thickens. People didn't like his goodness. The world couldn't stand the righteousness of Jesus. As light of the world, Jesus exposed the darkness, and he brought out into the open people's evil deeds, and they didn't like that. His words and his works convicted the world. 
And friends, we are living in a hostile world. We are living in a world that is hostile to Jesus. And we shouldn't be attracted to that. So that's number one. The world hates Jesus. And number two, the world hates Jesus' followers. The world hates Jesus' followers. Now let's just read verses 18 to 21 again, just to get a a flow of uh, what John is saying here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You see, John basically is saying this. The reaction of unbelievers to Christians today should be just the same as the reaction of Jesus and his disciples back 2,000 years ago. Because the world hates Jesus, anyone who associates themselves with him will be hated. So if you identify yourself with the world, the world loves you. But if you identify yourself with Jesus, the world hates you. So I think at this point, from, as well from this passage, we need to sidestep into a slightly separate question. And we need to ask ourselves, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Who do you associate yourself with? Or how do you identify yourself? Self-identification is, is a hot topic today. And we may uh, define ourselves by our gender or by our ethnicity, where we've come from, our name, family background, class, job title. But the most important identification is not any of these. It goes deeper than that. It is a deeper identification that doesn't change, and it's whether we belong to Jesus or not. You see, anyone who has repented of their sin, who has turned away from their sin and asked for forgiveness, turning to God, trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross, anyone who has done that is a child of God. Anyone who has done that has a new identity, and that is a fundamental identity that that does not change no matter who they are, where they've come from, and and what changes in their life. And verse 19 reminds us that this is God's initiative. You see, it's getting a bit more encouraging now, I hope. This gets to the very heart of who God is. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. We've seen already there's this cosmic conflict between God and the world, holiness and sin, love and hatred, good and evil. But but, but God chose to send his son into the sinful world, into this world. And more than that, he became sin for us. He became sin on the cross. So if you're a Christian here today, just take that in for a moment. Just take that in for a moment. He chose you out of the world. And when we think today of being chosen, maybe we think back to when we're on the um, school football team, and if we're chosen, it must be because we're, we're pretty talented and, and something we, we deserve, and we certainly don't want to be picked last on the football team. But here, it's not like that. Here we are chosen because of who is doing the choosing. 
We are not chosen because we are good and because we are holy and because we can match up. We're not chosen because God thinks that we can stick it out to the end. No, God chose us because he is good, because he is loving, and because he is gracious. And as a result of that, we don't belong to the world, but we now belong to God. And our citizenship is in heaven. It's like opening up our passport and our country of residence is not the United Kingdom or wherever you are from, uh, but our country of residence is heaven. It's like we are in a departure lounge at the airport awaiting our onward journey. Home. This is not our home. We are awaiting our onward journey. We are waiting for something better because we now belong to God. So now you belong to Jesus, and Jesus' followers will receive the same as what Jesus received. And so if you are a follower of Jesus here today, don't be surprised at persecution. Don't be surprised if you get opposition. What you stand for by being a follower of, of Christ is diametrically opposed to what the world stands for. What the world stands for, what the world proclaims, is in opposition to what the Bible says. And, and we're going to look at some, yeah, one of those ways um, tonight, as uh, Ruth has already said. So come along tonight and let's, uh, let's hear from Simon as he's taken us through one of those ways and how we can be equipped. So maybe you're thinking through this, and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not sure which side I'm on. And maybe today you have to make a choice. Maybe you haven't made up your mind yet of which side you are on whether you are on the, the world side or whether you're on Jesus' side. Maybe you're here exploring, and that's fantastic. That's great. You're looking into the works and the words of Jesus. But let me tell you, you can't be in the middle. You can't sit on the fence. And I have to say that following Jesus is tough. Yes, there is many blessings about following Jesus. There is joy, there is love and forgiveness. There is great acceptance in God and also being part of his church family, um, like we are here today, but it is a high calling. Make sure, if you are looking into it, you count the cost. Make sure you know what you're going into. Following Jesus is costly, and being a disciple of Jesus will mean saying no to something else. As we, as we say yes to Christ, it will mean denying a certain way of life, denying something that is precious to us. If, if we don't, we've got to question ourselves. And maybe for you it could even mean damaging some close relationships. Some people will just, at the very least, misunderstand you and not agree with you, and, and maybe worse. So that's our two points. Uh, the world hates Jesus, and the world hates Jesus' followers. So let, now let's think about what this, what this means. So what are the implications for us? Let's, we're going to look at three implications um, of, uh, of this for us as Christians. So number one, being hated is a sign of remaining in the vine and growing more like Jesus. Being hated is a sign of remaining in the vine and growing more like Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Neil took us through the first half of John chapter 15. And all of that passage was about the vine and the branches and about how we are connected to, to Jesus if we are in Christ, if we are a Christian. And if we are to grow as a Christian, 
we are to remain connected to the vine. We are to, if we are to bear fruit, we must be close to Jesus. And opposition, I want to say, is a confirmation that we are connected to the vine. Opposition is a confirmation that we are close to Jesus. What Jesus experienced, we experience. So it's that, it's that oneness, it's that togetherness. If life is always easy and plain sailing, now I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure all of us, that, that is very attractive, and that's what all of us want. But can you see the danger of that? Can you see the danger of when life is, 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 is easy? We start to drift away, and we start just to forget about the, about the Lord Jesus. And eventually, if that continues, we will become disconnected from the vine. And Neil told us about the consequences of that a couple of weeks ago. The best way and the only way for us to grow in Jesus is being connected to him. And that will involve hardship. Being hated is a hallmark of growing in Christ-likeness. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. So if nobody ever hates you, if nobody ever gives you a hard time for being a Christian, maybe we need to question how close are we to Jesus? Are we truly rooted in him? And for many of us in this room, many of us are going through hard times or have gone through hard times in years gone by. And, and some of that will be, will be suffering. Some of that will be um, real pain. But maybe you have experienced that hardship. Maybe you've experienced that opposition and that hatred. And it's often through these times where we experience the presence of Jesus, when we experience his peace, when there's nowhere else where we can go, where we have to remain in Jesus. And I know many of you here, more experienced than myself, can, can testify to that. Secondly, um, second implication is in the face of hatred, be a community of love. In the face of hatred, be a community of love. So how else are we to stand against the hatred of the world? What is our response going to be? Do we just hide in a corner and just wait for it to, to, to go away and things to improve? Well, I wanted us to read verse 17 as part of this passage because I think that is a really important way, helpful way for us to respond to the hatred um, that we may receive that is in verses 18 to 25. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. And you may remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, from verses 9 to 17, just how many times love was mentioned. It's a, it's a, uh, a big command. It's one of the biggest commands of, of Jesus to us. We are to respond with love. And love for those who are opposing us, yes, but in this context, John is talking about love for one another. Love for each other. We are to love each other. We are to be together. We are to be as one. A salmon run uh, is an annual fish migration where after se spending several years in the ocean in salt water, they return back upstream to where they came from, um, the inland rivers where they were spawned. And it involves swimming upstream. And it's amazing, there's lots of theories of how they, how they know where to go um, from the magnetic field of the earth to, to other things. Um, but they go back to, to their own birthplace in order to have their own young. But crucially, the fish don't do it alone. You never see them on their own. There are huge numbers 
of salmon swimming upstream, jumping over obstacles like 12 feet up in the air. You can tell I've learned quite a lot about fish this week, uh, among other things. Um, over weirs and just going upstream, tackling challenges along the way. Friends, being a Christian is like swimming upstream, isn't it? It feels often like swimming against the tide. There's a strong current flowing in the opposite direction, and the current's getting stronger. There's no doubt about that. And sometimes we feel like giving up. Sometimes we feel like going along with the tide and just, just going along with what the world says. That is far easier. Maybe for some of you, you are weary. For some of you, you are exhausted, and you feel like giving up. You feel like letting the current take you. But knowing you're not alone is a huge help, isn't it? Knowing that you are not alone makes all the difference. Just to have one other person standing with you is hugely encouraging. So we need each other. We need each other. When we're on our own, we're more likely to compromise. Now, I'm going to say something that all of you have already done this morning, so you can all give yourself a pat on the, pat on the back. Simply by being a community of love, I think simply is by turning up. So by turning up at church, that is one way that we can stand with each other. And maybe you've had a week where you felt lonely, you felt on your own, as a Christian, at work or at school, at home even, um, that you felt on your own. But you've come today, and it's great to know that we're not, our, not on our own. There are 200 people almost here who stand for the same thing that is encouraging. So come, come along, come along to this evening, come along to this evening's service and, and let us get equipped uh, by Simon to follow Christ faithfully. Come along to refresh, come along during the week and take part and support each other. How, how else can you, uh, can, can you be a community of love? Think about it in your, in your workplace, in your school. Maybe there are other Christians where you are and you haven't sought them out yet. Well, maybe Try and find out if there are any and meet up every now and then and pray for each other. The best way for Christians to stand against hatred is being a community of love. Thirdly and finally, uh, briefly as we finish, the third implication is that hatred is temporary for Jesus has overcome the world. Hatred is temporary for Jesus has overcome the world. In the face of hatred and opposition, it is easy to lose heart, or easy sometimes to even doubt God. Well, at the end of our passage, when Jesus is talking about the world hating him and his father, he says that actually this was talked about, this was promised a long time ago. So in one way, that, that is encouraging. This didn't take Jesus by surprise. Jesus is still in control. And in verse 50, um, 25, even, verse 25, it says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And if you just look, if you've got your Bibles open, if you look at the footnote there, at the bottom, this is a quote from two Psalms in the Old Testament referring to David. People hated David for no reason. And just as people hated David for no reason, well, of course they will hate Jesus for no reason, and they will hate us as well for no reason. And the point is this, as Christians today, we are made to feel immoral and intolerant and narrow-minded. But God reminds us here that we have justice on our side. 
when we're swimming against the tide, sometimes it's hard to remember that we are, we are in the right and we know the truth. But this is reminding us of that. And there's more. In the following chapter, in chapter 16, verse 30, 33, now I promise Paul, wherever you are, you're preaching on this in a few weeks' time. I, won't take, I, don't, I don't want to take much of your thunder, um, wherever he is. But in chapter 16, verse 33, I wanted to share this because I think it's so relevant to what we've looked at this morning. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. See, Jesus says it again. It won't be an easy life. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. He's already achieved the victory on the cross through his death of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's trouble in this world. Yes, there's hardship. But Jesus has already won. The, the hardship is temporary. But one day there will be justice. There will be justice. Even though there is this cosmic conflict between Jesus and the world, Jesus has already won the battle, and it will finally be, be gone. It will finally be, be settled, and there will be peace when Jesus comes back. So take heart. Being the minority is hard. Opposition and hatred is really tough. But don't focus on the hatred. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. We're going to sing about that in a second. Look to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we recognize the, the, tough of, the toughness of this passage. We know that this is hard-hitting, and Father God, many of us will, will hear these words, and Father, it's, it, it's hard to hear, and maybe we feel like running in the opposite direction, but Father, we just thank you so much that you have brought us near. Father, what you offer is much better, more eternal and everlasting than anything this world can offer. Thank you so much, Father, that you have saved us. Thank you that you've chosen us out of the world and we now belong to you. So help us in opposition. For those who are experiencing opposition and we think of those who are persecuted around the world, particularly, Father, be with them and strengthen them, we pray. But for those who are here and for those who are just suffering hardship at home, at school, at work, or wherever they may be, people who feel really isolated. Father, draw alongside them. Equip them and help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, we pray, for your glory. Amen.